You know, I met Brad many, many years ago, and the first thing that uh, I heard out of his mouth, he, he liked to do some hunting, and so, of course, my ears perked right up, and, and we got to chat a little bit about that, and then we're having some troubles with our web, website here for the church, and uh, I'd also heard him say that he's one of these web experts, and so I got pretty excited about that, so I called him up and said, hey, can you sit down with me and, and help me with this web thing? I had a professional work on it, and the guy wouldn't give us the domain uh, ownership, the domain name or whatever, and this guy was take, was taking us to the cleaners. And so uh, Brad comes in, he goes behind, I don't know how he did this, but he went behind and secured all the information before I went to this guy and said, thank you, but no thank you, you're done. So he couldn't shut us all down. It was pretty cool. I don't know what that even means, but Brad did it. But the interesting thing is when I was talking with Brad over a cup of coffee, uh, we, we were chatting a little bit about hunting, we were chatting a little bit, and then I, he goes, he asked me this question, so what do you want your website to do? And I said, I, I want it to be able to teach people about the Lord. I want it to be an educational tool, not just a little marketing happy face. And uh, so he goes, so what do you want to put on it? So I started to share some things with him, and he, 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 his eyeballs changed. Because I was talking about immutable truths. And he, and he told me, he goes, you know what? I really wanted to make big changes in my life. I've read over 180 some odd books in the last year or two. And uh, so he goes, one of the most powerful principles was this. And I said, you know, there's a verse for that. Not an app, but a verse for that. And I quoted the verse. And he goes, well, this other thing that was really important to help me in my life and in my business and in my marriage is this one. I said, you know, there's a verse for that. And his eyeballs got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then finally he says, hey, I want to know what the Bible says. And we did a Bible study, he and his lovely bride. And, and we had lunches and had Bible studies. And he's a brother and sister in Christ, great kids. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's a great, great preacher. And so look at the title of his lesson. Build your discipline, choose your heart. Now, he did not know... He did not know that Mike was going to come before him. So Mike set the stage for you. And you're just going to pound the hammer, you know, drive in those nails to, to get us to figure this thing out. So I'm pretty excited about Brad coming up here. And uh, he's been in Christ, what, two years, three years? But man, wait till you hear him preach. It's pretty amazing. All right, get your Bibles ready. Get your brains ready. Bring them on up. Brad McKinney. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. What great preachers this morning. Some good information about my favorite topic, suffering. Uh, done a lot of study on suffering. I'm going to mess with this. People don't want to see the bottom part of my head. It's a curse being tall sometimes. There we go. Sorry for the next person that comes up here. You're going to have to lower that <laughs> quite a bit. kind of took my thunder. I was going to promote the website through through the through the other. So uh, Bill and I met a few years back, actually a long time back. We were in to or not Toastmasters. We were in Greeters together for many years, and we didn't really connect in there a couple times. I think we went and chatted about hunting a few times, but it wasn't until the story that Bill told about us getting together over some coffee to talk about his website that we really um, came together and became friends. So uh, I appreciate Bill um, with 
the website. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my stories of suffering through my life to kind of hopefully relate to, hopefully you could relate to those or relate to seasons of your life that maybe were difficult. Uh, a lot of the way that I speak is around stories through things that I've done and mostly things that I've done wrong because <laughs> we learn from the things that we do wrong better than the things that we do well. Uh, so I have a couple of sermons that I've given in the past. Those are on our website. Um, so what is it? Cornerstonetruth.org if you want to learn more about those stories. So I try to think of things that I haven't told you all about. Uh, so new things because there's lots. There's lots to choose from. Uh, and I appreciate Mike's uh, sermon last year around the phone, which is going to be kind of an ironic way that I found the message of, of this. Is The message came to me through a meme on Facebook. So I want to tip my hat to your sermon last year about technology. Sometimes it does create positive things, right? So uh, it came across and I read it and it, it didn't stick to me right away. Then I kept thinking about it, about the things that are hard in our life. Like, who here has not has had a life without difficult times? Yeah, not too many hands. Probably not too many hands out there on the Facebook world either. So the meme goes, and I took some creative latitude to add a few more relevant words and statements to it. So the meme goes, marriage is hard, but so is divorce. Being fit is hard, but so is being obese. I struggle with that one, so we're, we're good. Um, being financially disciplined is hard, but so is being in debt. Communication is hard, but so is lack of communication. Being a Christian is hard, but so is being a non-believer. Life will never be easy. We'll always have seasons of adversity and opposition. But we get to choose our hard. That's the key. We get to choose our hard. It takes commitment to live a disciplined life. So when I looked at this and I was putting this sermon together, I was thinking, how am I going to talk about this? And then I remembered Bill likes things in three. So I have three points. Um, but before we get to those points, let's go to the scriptures in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our love, or through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, give, who was given to us. So when I was thinking about like, what am I going to talk about, that jumped off the page. Tribulations bring through perseverance. Perseverance builds our character. Character gives us hope. And I so appreciate Bill's message. Faith, hope, and love. And the most important is love. 
but the other two are really important too. Hope is hope is really important, especially when we're struggling with things. So I am not a Greek scholar by any means, so I'm going to butcher these Greek words. I'm sorry for those of you that spend a lot of time in the Greek. I don't. So I uh, believe Mike talked about or perseverance. Um, Hoopamone. Hoopamone. Uh, a patient enduring. That one jumped off the page for me. Uh, steadfastness. Character. Dogaim. Dogim. D-O-K-I-M-E. The process or result of trial. Approving. Proven character. Proven worth. Tested. You shape our character through the things that test us. And we're either going to come out of that and, and if we have a, a, a weak character, we're not going to make very good choices. A lot of those things are going to be self-driven. But if we have a great character that's shaped through the times that were hard, we can see how our choices have been built. And that, and that character becomes like a stone carving, right? Every tribulation that we go through ingrains that behavior more and more and we and we behave correctly based on the scripture and then hope l peace e-l-p-i-s favorable confident expectation expectation of what is certain so when we hope we're we're putting our we're having faith, right? I mean, faith that that this is going to happen. And we, and we hope it does through that faith. So when we look at that scripture, tribulations, we're going to exalt in our tribulations. Who here, if we look at the word exalt, the dictionary says it's feel or show triumphant elation or jubilation. <laughs> So exalt through your tribulations. Who here has been like, had that feeling of jubilation when life is just dumped on your head and you're trying to figure it out? It's hard. It's hard. I've never really been joyful when things got hard. I'm trying to, I'm the, like the planner, the, I have to figure it out, I have to fix things. So my mind is like grinding on, on how I can be the person that fixes it. I'm not really thinking about like, right, got a challenge here. That's not me. Um, should be. Scripture says it should be. Who here in the room like gets really excited when things go wrong? <laughs> hey, no hands again. All right, I'm not alone. I'm in it. So tribulation, I'm trying to get all the definitions out of the way here. It's Bill gave me this, like, parameters that, like, scripture has to be in my sermon. I, again, I go back to, I, I'm a storyteller. I like to tell stories. Story. So we're going to get to stories in a minute. Um, a lot of, like, what I've learned bef before meeting Bill um, was just through life and books and things. And the things that were true, things that align with scripture, really pulled me in a really great direction in my life. So... 
some of my information is not going to be in there, but we're going to have a tie on how those things come together. So my first point, point number one, exalt in our opposition and adversity. So now we're creating perseverance. So I think about like the, the, like the biggest thing in my life that has shaped my character is football. Like I'm not a football player. I don't watch football anymore. Like football is, is not even part of my life right now. But I look back at my high school years. When I was a freshman in high school, I had never done a sport until my freshman year of high school. And my dad goes, son, you know, you look like you'd really enjoy football. We're going to sign you up for football. And I was like, that sounds terrible. Because uh, I really liked video games and watching TV and, you know, football was totally opposite of that. Like there was, there was not even a connection, maybe Madden football, if that was a thing. But uh, as a freshman, I got my gear on. I'm terrible idea you take new people to a sport and you make them do it twice a day in a hundred degree weather i don't know if that's like a weeding out process but it should have been because it was terrible and my dad was there saying you signed up for this you're not gonna quit I'm like no you signed me up for this so um I'm going to give you a, a, a picture, a mental picture of my first freshman year of football. Two practices a day. I didn't know how to run. I was terribly overweight. Every joint in my body hurt every day. And other kids laughed at me because I puked every practice multiple times. For like three years, like the puking thing never stopped. I kind of became a, like, you know, the yearbook thing. <laughs> like, it could have been that. Not being able to run, I had joint, like my ankles hurt so bad. So my dad would be like, we're going to get tape. Except when he played football, I don't think they had that skin, that first like layer before they put the tape on. We didn't find that till later because, you know, he was old school. So it was just like, put the tape on, go have fun. So if we think about like what football is, I was a lineman. So I got to play two, two rounds in two different games my freshman year. Because everybody ran by me. I couldn't stop. I didn't know what to do. Like all the kids I played with had been playing sports since they were peewee football players. Like they all had this idea on what alignment's supposed to do. And I'm just like, oh, chase the person. What? Oh, he's over there. <laughs> At the end of my first year of football, we sat in a, uh, a banquet. And the coach is like, all right, Brad McKinney, come up. I'm like, I get a award? Oh. <laughs> That's not possible. And they handed me this thing, like one of those things that go around your neck, said most improved player. And the whole place laughed. Dad wouldn't let me quit. That's terrible. So I make it like this vow in my mind, like this like 
I'm gonna figure this out. If he's not gonna let me quit, I better get to work. And so I spent all the winter and the spring in the weight room. I'd go, like my parents would take me to the track and drop me off and I would force myself to run and puke and run and puke and run and puke. It was like a thing, like it just kept going. <laughs> by, the, by the time my sophomore year came around, I got to be like first string on, on, the, or on the junior varsity team. Now you think that's an accomplishment, but I think we had just enough players to field for that team. So it was a default thing. I think it was like, oh, it's not running to that side. We're going to be over here. We're just going to keep moving McKinney wherever the ball isn't going to be. But I, I kept doing the work, kept putting in the work, kept running after practice. I kept going to the weight room. A couple of times I got asked to go with the varsity team and stand on the sideline. We never got in the game when we did that. They just asked us to be there. I think it was more of like a show of strength. We were going, we're going against like a big school, so we had to look like a big school. So let's bring the JV guys with us. Junior year, I actually legit, like a new coach came in. They had a whole program around weightlifting. And they actually taught us how to prepare for football and I changed and I actually worked hard and got to be varsity first starter on that team my first year of varsity football my senior year of football I never came off the field I was on offense defense kickoff kick return punt punt return PATs I was tired at the end of the game because I never came off the field. My highlight of my football career, and just to back up, in, my la in one of my last sermons, I talked about having a, a learning challenge. It was really difficult to read. And while playing football, I also achieved really high GPA in school. I was gonna graduate high school with a 3.75 GPA. I get emotional at this part. So I sat in a room with the recruiters at Oregon State University with my peers, the ones who made fun of me pretty much my entire football career. And that recruiters, they were laughing at me like, hey, you don't want McKinney on your team. You don't even need to give that guy a second look. And the guy looked at all of them and said, what's your GPA? And he went around the room and every person gave their GPA. I gave him mine and he looked back at everyone and said, you all can go, I'm only gonna to talk to him. He's the only one who got grades well enough to play for my team. And I got to sit there and talk to that guy about my life because of the hard work and perseverance and just sticking it in there with, and building mental toughness over time. Changed my life. I go now and I get hard things that happen and I just go back to those moments where puking and we're going to run the train. Has anybody run a train in football where like you start out in a big line and the guy in the back runs to the front and the guy in the back runs to the front? I was always the one that went first because I could never make the second time. And they were all done with their meeting at the end of it and I'm just like puking and running to the thing. They're like, oh, we're already done. Hit the locker room. 
But I got to sit in that room with that recruiter and talk to them. And he asked me, you even interested in football? And I was like, sir, not really. I want to be an engineer when I grow up. He's like, you're not going to be able to be an engineer and play football. And I was like, oh, I guess that covers that because I'm not, I'm, man, I'm not interested to go another four years of the, the trials that have gone in the past. The, the skills I learned from that, those hard times when I was young, stuck with me through my life. When I was making really bad choices and selfish choices when I was in my 20s and my wife was like, yeah, this isn't working. I got to go back to that hard stuff and be like, all right, how do I deal with that? Take a breath, take a moment. And I just think as I read through the Bible and I think about all the times that Jesus had to deal with opposition and adversity. And, and I just his reaction to that wasn't selfish it wasn't it wasn't focused on him getting through the problem it was really focused on fulfilling that end goal right it was he just pushed through he never got i mean i i read the scriptures and i know a couple of preachers portrayed the emotion that maybe could have been there, but I see, I saw him as a peaceful person that dealt with conflict in a peaceful way. He wasn't the full frontal assault on the people that were causing problems. He was, he would ask questions, really, really well-placed questions to, to kind of resolve something. And then he went all the way and he sacrificed himself for us. Point number two. I talked a little bit about shaping that character. So my second point is moving to maturity. And that's where the character part comes in. My character was chiseled in those times where I was like throwing up through my football mask. The times it was really hard for me to learn and read and understand. For me to go to college, when I was a junior, I had to take two math classes and I had to take three English classes just to make the minimum to get there because I was so far behind. So I'm going to read a poem and I think it really works well with what Mike was talking about, about um, self-control, how we kind of show how we show up in the world. And when I read this poem, and I'm going to give you the name of the poem and the author before I start, but when I'm reading this poem, I want you to think, what does it take to be that person? And then I want you to think, doesn't that represent Jesus? Anybody here ever heard the poem "If" by Rudyard Kipling? All right. Now, see, you make the example of the e-reader, like I just hit the wrong button and now I gotta go and find it, there we go. 
If you if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting. Or being lied about and not deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build, build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again from your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and soul hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings and nor lose your common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Sorry. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. When I read that, and I've, I've, I heard this long before being a Christian, and I think, like, as a character, like, if I looked at my son or my daughter, like, that is what, as, as a dad, that is what I was think would, if I did my job, that's how I want them to show up in the world. To do these things, gotta have a good character. To do these things, you've gotta have the principles that are taught in the Bible. Patience, self-control, discipline, endurance, humility, and grace. And that's where I meet Bill, right? I, I find this information that inspires me and, and shapes how I'm a parent, how I show up at work. And he shows me where there's a verse for that. And then I start reading and I'm like, there is a verse for that. Yeah, there is a verse for that. A couple of these that point out, like the ones that, I was nervous about, but then I thought about it, was um, the part where you can 
keep all of your winnings and risk it at a game of pitch and toss and then start from your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. 10 years ago, I decided to leave a job and risk starting my own business, but I wasn't honest with myself. I left my other job for the wrong reasons. I was running away from it rather than because I thought I had the skills to do this new job. And it put us in a really bad financial spot because I wasn't very good at selling insurance. I hate sales. I'm not a salesperson. You know the humility part about that? And this is the part where you're not supposed to speak a word of it, but I think it's relevant. Is after all of that, I took a $50,000 hit to my yearly income. It's very humiliating when you're standing in the local aid food box line because of a decision that you made. That didn't just impact you, that impacted your wife and your kids. Potential of where you're going to live, how you're going to get to work if you're going to get another job. But I think about it a lot, about if I had to do it all over again, would I make the same decision? And I can't think of a reason why I wouldn't. The things that I learned from all of that led me to meet Bill, which led me to be immersed, which led me to be a Christian today. One thing changed in that process. I'm not standing up here talking with you. But I'm telling you, it was hard. You know, we, I made just enough money with my job I had to take because it's the only thing I could find in a dying economy when the housing market blew up and all that. I made just enough money to pay our bills and not buy food. We called it Jesus math. Because there's no way we should have made it every month, but we did. I started a photography company. And when we were just about not to make it, I'd get a job. I'd go out and I'd shoot a photo shoot and we'd just get enough to kind of push to the next month. Characters built on that football field to be able to endure that suffering. What am I going to do? I'm going to think about two steps ahead of where I am and I'm just going to keep trudging along. Like my dad put me in a position where I couldn't back away from the suffering. I made a decision that I couldn't back away from the suffering. The circumstances were so great. I had no control over the economy. I had no control over the jobs that were available. I had, I had no control over the economics of it where one day you could make X number and now there's so many people that are looking for jobs. Now you can only make Y number. I had no control over any of that. I, put ourselves in that position. So what did I have to do? I had to take the skills I learned early on when I was suffering to match the need of today. Sometimes we forget though. This year we went elk hunting, my son and I, and I get out of the pickup and I have my pack on and my rifle and there's foot and a half of snow and the people we're with are like, hey, I need you to hike two miles that way. And we started up the ravine and it got really steep and it got really bad. And I realized all of the poor mistakes of not working out and getting ready for that elk hunting trip because <laughs> we were at home. 
My son, 13 years old, had a better character than his dad. Dad, let's take the stuff out of your pack and put it in mine so it's easier and you can make it up the hill. Dad, let's stop so you can rest and catch your breath. Dad, we're going to make it to the top. Right? It's So the things I learned on the football field and I endured through the, the financial crisis and somehow it was instilled into him, which... At the time, as I'm having my pity party and not being able to breathe up the hill and we get back to the cabin later, and I'm like, wow, I'm grateful. I should have behaved differently. I should have behaved better as dad. But he was there and helped me and picked me up along the way, and we made it. Third point. Man, I need to set some expectations here. I mean, we're 10 minutes before lunch. And I didn't realize I was a speaker before lunch. That's difficult. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Finish strong. Finish strong. You'll do it. Point number three, shift your perspective. I think that's what hope is. Right? I mean, when we're stuck in it, when, you're, when your adversity is right here in your face and that's all you can see, you have some choices to make. You can just keep seeing it from that perspective. Or you can step back. And you can get as close as you want, or you can start getting as far away as you want. You can start looking at things a lot differently. And I think that's where the scripture comes in. Because when things get tough, where do you and your mind go? So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. See, here's the racing. I got the e-reader. I was, I was there first. I got there. <laughs> it's easier when you know where you're going before everyone else. I stopped so. right down where I was going. All right. Okay. Okay. Ten. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition of all the saints. So we've got some tools, right, in our perseverance. 
I wrote down here the word of God, sword, the faith, prayer. All of these things build that foundation in your mind of your values. You have the guiding force is this. If we didn't have this, we would be relying on our own interpretation of what's going on, constantly choosing self, constantly digging that hole and going down and down and down. And, and I can just, I, I look back at those tribute at that moment when I was playing football and it was hard. What if my dad let me quit? I ask myself that question all the time. What if he let me quit? Where would I be today? Would I quit on other things as I move through life? I mean, we never know. But if I didn't have that difficult experience over four years of just grinding through and just building that mental toughness through that adversity, as I move through the hard things in life, like right now I'm, I'm in the hardest position I've ever been in in my job. I've never experienced the thing that I've, I've experienced. I'm working on a large IT project I've never done, but I'm being able to take things from past experience and try to plug them in to behave in a way that I think is aligned with Christ and show up that way at work and, and build relationships with those people so I can learn what I need to learn to do the job that I'm doing and it's difficult. Long days, difficult meetings, difficult conversations, but showing up in a way that I've never done before because I have to. I have to figure it out. And if I didn't have all those experiences, again, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't probably be in that position today. And I think under that, that hope, that shift in your perspective, I think fellowship is so important. I think when I stumble, the thing that kind of puts me back on track is Bill being there on Tuesdays, right? Gets me back aligned, just that jolt of, okay, that's a really great principle. I need to apply that now. And most of the time when we're in those Tuesday meetings, <laughs> the message is so relevant to what's going on. It's weird how that works. Like we're working through Revelations right now, which is, we talked a little bit about that earlier today. But it, I mean, I've listened to Reg uh, Revelations several times and it's not until it's verse by verse. This is what that means. Oh, that's, that makes a lot more sense. It looked a lot more doom and gloom before we had this conversation. I read a story. I think it's relevant. A dad had saved a car from his youth. And that car, I think it was like a 1994 Nissan Skyline. And he had it in a garage and it had a cover on it and he was going to save it for his kid. And when his daughter became old enough to drive, he goes, Hey, I've saved this car for you and you can keep it and drive it or you can trade it in on something else if you want. But this is all I ask. I want you to first go to the dealership and ask how much they'll give you for that car. And then I want you to go to the pawn shop and ask what they'll give you for that car. And so the daughter went out and, and did that and comes back to dad. And she says, okay, well, the dealership said they'd give me $1,000 as a trade-in for that car. 
in the pawn shop because they don't really deal in cars and they'd have to kind of make another deal and push it, you know, in a different direction, they'll give me a hundred dollars for the car. And so the dad's like, I want you to go one more place. I want you to go to this car club and ask them what they'll give you for the car. And then they came back to dad and her like eyes were big. Like they're going to give me $250,000 for this car. And the reason why is because it's a rare car. The people she went to first didn't know the value of the car. And the lesson of the story is go to where you're valuable. The devil is over here at the pawn shop in the dealership, right? Those choices, it's easy to make that trade in for $1,000 and get a shiny new toy. It's hard to broker a deal with $250,000. Jesus gave his life for us. I would say he thinks we're really valuable. The devil didn't give us anything for it. He's over there going, I'll give you that $100. Right? We're trading this Jesus' value for cell phones, for TV programs we get sucked into and binge on Netflix. Know our value. We're valuable to God, but he only asks us to do the instruction manual, right? The word of God. We need to persevere through our difficulties that are pressure testing our character because he really only wants people with a valuable character in paradise. So if we, know our, if we know Jesus values us, we need to spend our time living that life. All decisions we make can bring us adversity and opposition, but shouldn't we do the hard things that are eventually going to lead us to paradise? Shouldn't we sacrifice self and pick up our cross and follow Jesus? If that, noon, <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> oh man, I I really appreciate Brad a lot. My my Tuesdays, you know, he's telling he gets a lot of my out when I come up to visit him in Dallas on Tuesdays. Man, I I think I get the better the better piece. Your family is amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much.